Welcome to Real Christianity, a weekly show designed to help Christians know their Bible, defend their faith, and truly understand what it means to follow Jesus. The premise is simple. The culture is getting louder. The church is getting flashier, but few pastors are teaching on how to live a biblical life. My name is Dale Partridge, along with my incredible wife, Veronica. Join us as we start an important conversation about what it really means to be a Christian. Welcome to Real Christianity. Today, we are talking about how to have hope in a hard situation. Well, guys, welcome to the Real Christianity podcast. Excited to have you here. Uh, Typically, this show is done with my wife and I, but since the coronavirus situation, we haven't had as much opportunity for babysitting, and uh, we are doing shows where I'm doing them and she's watching kiddos. However, Next week, we will be back at it with just her and I. Uh, We're going to try to do something with maybe the kids going to bed and filming a show at night. Those are harder to do for us, but uh, we really do know the importance of having her here as a secondary voice in the conversation that we have here on the podcast. But thanks for uh, joining us today. Uh, If you're new to the show, would love for you to leave a review if you haven't done so already. Those reviews are really powerful. They help uh, new listeners understand what to expect uh, in our podcast, and it also boosts the algorithms and allows more people to find our show uh, when they're searching. And I would say, I think we have over 5,000 reviews now, and so guys, thank you so much for them. Today's a really important show, especially in the midst of a what what might look like a hopeless situation. Um, how do we have hope in what looks like these hard and difficult times. And I think I'm going to give you guys some practical biblical resources to pull from uh, in your own life. But before we get started, I wanted to mention just a couple things. One is if you're a Christian and you're struggling with the sin of pornography, uh, I just released a powerful new program to help you break free from the bondage of porn, uh, and it's standinvictory.org. Uh, Again, that's standinvictory.org. Basically, it's a program that teaches us to stand in victory over sin uh, that Christ has earned on our behalf. And it's an extremely affordable, simple, straightforward course. It's three 20-minute videos. Uh, Each video is accompanied by three study guide PDFs. It's for men and women. Uh, and it has some virtual uh, tasks that you can do and some biblical study tasks for maintaining freedom uh, from pornography and other forms of sexual immorality. Uh, you can watch the video about the course uh, on the homepage. It shares a little bit of my story if you just visit standinvictory.org. Again, it's a gospel-centered program. Guys, if you are struggling with porn, guys or girls, uh, this is an important course to check out. Another great thing that I've already had people do since we just rolled this out is if, say you've overcome 
pornography um, and you've broken free from pornography, if you would like to sponsor somebody, uh, you can do so by just going to uh, relearnchurch.org forward slash donate and uh, you can make a donation of any amount and then just write an email uh, at support at relearn.org. I know those are two different domains, but we're switching over domains here. But if you go to relearnchurch.org forward slash donate, you make that there. And then send us an email at support at relearn.org. Uh, and just say, hey, I just made a donation for this amount. I'd like you to apply it to um, somebody that might not be able to afford the program. It's only $49 is what the program is. So you can sponsor two people for 100 bucks. Um, we're going to make that a little bit more fluid soon, but that's an option now. And it would be a huge blessing to many people, especially in times like this. Uh, the second thing I want to mention just before we get going into this, uh, this podcast on hope is I want to talk about that special released article that I did on St. Justin's website. I also did it as a podcast last week. If you have not listened to the podcast last week titled How the Coronavirus Might Change the Local Church Forever, it's based on an article that I wrote. It took me about 40 hours to write. And guys, I'm telling you, I, in the middle of that, I went and prayed several times. I had to worship the Lord several times in the middle of writing this to get a firm and accurate perspective of some predictions of what we might be seeing in the coming months to years in the shifts of the local church expression. And so if you want to read that article, you can go to St. Justin's, that's S-T, Justin's, plural, stjustins.org forward slash coronavirus. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started about this conversation today. Um, I think it's obvious that the worry is starting to rise and um, life, you know, in quarantine is starting to become a little bit more frustrating. Uh, people love to control their lives and especially they love to control their deaths and these current circumstances, uh, especially talking about an illness, uh, they begin to infringe on our, our desire to do both of those things, to control our lives and to control our deaths. And it's at the forefront of discussion and conversation, and it is becoming very um, hope-stealing uh, for many families and many Christians in the church. And as you know, um, a few weeks ago, we released an episode titled, How Christians Should Respond to the Coronavirus. That's episode 87. Uh, and in that episode, we discussed the sovereignty of God over times like these. Uh, but today, I want to talk more about the practical theology that may be helpful for those wondering how to manage the kind of minutia of this what I think is a socio-political firestorm. It's not just about the coronavirus. It's about the social media, and it's about the worry of the economy, and it's about the laws changing, about the threats of government. It's, it's about a lot of things. Um, how are we to respond? Again, the sovereignty of God must be the foundation of the discussion, so you got to go back and listen to that episode 87 if you haven't. But how do we respond practically in our own life, in our own theology, um, from our own perspective, in our own home, um, in our own hearts. And so I want to look uh, at a few things. First, first I want to say this, though. Christians in this time, in this sociopolitical firestorm, in this time of uncertainty and in confusion, should be the most 
level-headed and the most sober and the most self-controlled group on the planet right now. Um, we should be the ones demonstrating joy and peace, not the depression or the worry or the anxiety that's so commonly seen in moments like these in the culture. Now, I'm not disregarding the difficulty of the time that we're in. Uh, This isn't easy, but ultimately Christians must be, should be, the billboards of hope in our communities. And I want to take a look at some scripture in 1 Peter that in its biblical context is about how Christians are to respond to persecution with hope. But I want to apply Peter's instruction in this passage for responding to all trials with hope, including this one. And I do think there is a strong biblical argument uh, from James, from Peter, from Paul uh, about doing so. Uh, But let's look at this passage in 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15. A lot of you guys know this passage. Verse 13, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect. So one thing I want to point out is that basically the response of the gospel is a reactive work, meaning that people are going to see something in you and going to ask you, and you need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. And so when people are not asking you questions about Jesus, it's an it's an evidence that basically you're not displaying anything that would drive curiosity. And that's a problem. Um, When you show hope in hard situations, that will drive curiosity. When the culture at large no longer has questions for the church at large, that becomes an even bigger question. When the church looks so much like the culture that the culture stops being curious about the church, that's a big problem that we have to deal with. Um, but I want to talk about just this in a, in a perspective within the, the coronavirus and I guess the underlying theological message here. The lesson I would say is anyone can display hope in a hopeful situation. But through Christ, we as Christians can display hope in what looks like a hopeless situation. And the principle reminds me of uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 5.46. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors have the same? Um, basically, he's saying, like, there's nothing special about loving the lovable. Uh, what's special is being able to love the unlovable, to have hope in the midst of hopelessness, to have joy in the face of suffering, to have light in the middle of the dark, to have peace in the middle of the storm. This is what Christians do. This is what causes curiosity. Always be prepared to give a defense or to give an answer for the hope that's in you and to do so with gentleness and respect. And so First Peter, um, that passage, hope and suffering and uncertainty is evangelistic because it's not natural. It's supernatural. It causes people to be curious. It causes people to ask, why? How can you have joy and not worry? Uh, 
in what to me feels and looks like misery. Like how can you have hope in this situation that looks so dark and hard? I, I just lost my job. I, I can't f- feed my family until, unless I go get a, a second thing over here. I, I, I don't know where I'm going to where I'm going to sleep next month because my rent isn't going to get paid. These are legitimate worries. I, I, my, my grandfather is sick and, and my child has a compromised immune system. How can you remain hopeful? Well, it's, it's through Christ. We know that. Uh, and the answer centrally, I think, is founded upon the character of God. And sure, as Christians, we know that we have purpose in our suffering. We we know that we have no condemnation at our death, which gives us great joy. We, we know that we have eternal life uh, through our faith, through our reliance and our trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 1, 23 through 24 says uh, by Paul, he says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, on the account of his ministry to do here. Basically, the worst thing that can happen to us as Christians, death, is actually the best thing that could happen to us as Christians because we'll be with Christ. And our hope fully rests upon not just these promises, but God's word. And and the two are one. But the bedrock of my hope isn't only these verses about suffering and hope. The bedrock of my hope is in God himself. And what I mean is, you know, that we have hope because God is a hopeful God. It's not only that he says in scriptures, you know, uh, you know, specifically he talks about hope. It's in everything that he is. He, he's a hopeful God. God is a God of hope, and it's demonstrated in everything that he's ever done. Uh, hope is rooted in character. God is hope. And when the hopelessness of our world is raging because of uncertainty and confusion and concern, we as Christians have hope, not because we know exactly what God is doing, but because we know who God is. I'm going to say that again. We can have hope not because we know exactly what God is doing, but because we know who God is. We know the character of God. We know the history of God. We know the heart of God. We know God relationally. We don't need to have control or have complete understanding or have uh, the details of what's occurring in our world to have hope. We don't need to chase prophecies and conspiracy theological theories and decoded political information. Why? Because we know who God is. We know who God is. I've seen so many people right now that are constantly pushing out all their different interpretive prophecies on this passage and that passage. And I go, okay, there's nothing wrong with looking at scripture and then looking at our times and trying to make a a confident, theologically accurate um, evaluation of what's possibly happening right now. But people become obsessed. They want to know because they want control. They, They want to understand deeply. And that's not necessarily what we need. We need to actually just rest in what God is doing, even if we don't understand specifically what's going on, because we know who God is. And I want to give you an illustration that I heard from Paul Washer uh, that I think might help clarify the point that I'm trying to make. 
let's just say that you had a friend for like 20 to 25 years. This is a long-term friend. Uh, this is a brother in the Lord. He's been with you thick and thin. Um, you've seen him faithfully serve others, his family. You've seen him serve God for decades and decades. Uh, let's just say that you haven't seen him for two years, but he walks in your house and says, hey, uh, I need to borrow your truck. And without a word, you just toss him the keys to your brand new $60,000 Toyota Tundra. And your wife goes, what are you doing? You're not even going to ask him why he wants your truck? Uh, your answer could be, well, I, I, I don't need to know what he's doing exactly because I know who he is. I know his character. It doesn't matter what he's doing. It'll be honorable because he is honorable. And I think that same principle is true with God. We can have hope in uncertainty and ambiguity, not because we know exactly what God is doing. No, it's because we know that the character of God um, is good, and we know him so well that our hope is founded in the reality that whatever he is doing is good and righteous and just and trustworthy. But most of all, I, I want to talk about that you know, we can trust that every single thing that is happening in our world is working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. And um, I don't know who coined the term the great eight, but Romans 8 is probably one of the greatest passages of scripture to be reading right now uh, in this season. Um, it's that passage that Paul writes those beautiful words, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He continues saying a few verses later in verses 28. Uh, I just said it uh, by memory a second ago. I'm going to read it right here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He goes on to say in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, in, who, who, uh, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, this is a huge promise to stand on in times of uncertainty. What a great hope that we have. What a great opportunity to put these truths on display for the world. Again, the great eight, just go and smother your brain in that passage of scripture. If we're learning anything in this pandemic, we're learning of man's fear and man's fear of death, and man's desire for control. We're learning of man's lack of hope. We're learning of man's need for information. It's our duty to see this moment and offer the only solution to remove that fear, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know that we have a sovereign God 
who is over all of these things, who cares for us and is working all things together for those who love him. We, when we rest in that, we can be hopeful in any situation, regardless of our circumstances. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. I don't have conditional hope. I don't have conditional uh, joy. I don't have conditional courage. I don't have conditional obedience. I have all of those things in all times because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and I don't mean just go love people with these, show, demonstrate these truths. I don't just mean kind of be the good neighbor. Those are important things, but I want you to actually proclaim the actual gospel message. I want you to actually read scripture and proclaim the truth of scripture, maybe on the internet, maybe to your friends, maybe in an email, maybe to a neighbor, whatever it takes. But we talk so much about gospel preaching and and the Great Commission is not the great suggestion. You know, the, the Great Commission doesn't mean you just go love your neighbor. That's not the gospel. Love your neighbor is not the gospel. Uh, Christians love their neighbor because of the gospel, but the reality is you still have a responsibility to go share the actual gospel message, to talk about the hope that comes in Scripture, to look at the doctrines and the truths that we see in the good book and remind people of those things and talk about why you have hope and why they might not have hope in those times. And so that's my prayer uh, for you in this matter, uh, that, that the Lord gives you a moment to serve him in proclamation, in actual discussion in the demonstration of these truths to the point that people actually come and look at you and ask you and are curious about your life and about your family and about your business and about your ministry because you look different, you act different, you think different, you are different because you're redeemed. Let's pray and I'll do a last uh, short announcement and then we'll close out. Father, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you that you're a hopeful God and that you have given us the passages of Scripture that we might lean into that truth and that you're good and you're just and you're trustworthy. And because of those things of who you are, we don't need to know the details of every single thing, Father, but we can trust and we can be faithful to the commands that you have given us in Scripture. Father, I ask that you would bless every single person that's listening right now with an opportunity to display and to demonstrate and to proclaim the gospel. Father, that you would use these men and women to 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 widen the border of your kingdom, Father. We pray for courage. We pray for boldness. We pray for conviction that would bring uh, your church to a place of demonstration that people would be looking and saying, wow, you guys are different. There's something different. And they're not going to see us. They're going to see Christ in us, Father. Lord, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, uh, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope it's helpful and fruitful. Um, I ask that you guys um, would continue to pray for our ministry um, and supporting our ministry. We're continuing to launch new uh, ministry-funded projects that we can continue using as products to keep the ministry going. Um, we, we ask that you would continue to pray for our ministry. Uh, there is a lot of work coming for us because as the church is changing and more people are interested in house churching, uh, we are in a unique position to serve the church in that way. Again, just pray for us in that capacity uh, and, and uh, pray and consider supporting us uh, if the Lord um, so allows you and permits you to do so. Um, again, uh, um, if you are struggling with the sin of pornography, remember that we launched that new course, which is a new product that funds our ministry. 
standinvictory.org. You can check that out. And if you wanted to read the article about the local church, again, that link is stjustins.org forward slash coronavirus. All right, guys, next week we will be back with both Veronica and I uh, on a great topic for real Christianity. Until next time, take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real Christianity. Real Christianity is an audio ministry of relearnchurch.org. If you'd like more information on how to live out a biblical life, relearnchurch.org hosts a variety of articles, podcasts, sermons, and videos to support your journey. Real Christianity is a 100% listener-supported ministry, and if you'd like to support our efforts, simply click the Donate tab at relearnchurch.org. You can also connect with both Veronica and I on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for daily lessons and Bible teachings. Thank you for being with us today. We hope to see you next Wednesday for another episode of Real Christianity.